You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. So we are uh, continuing today this series, Rethinking the Bible. And to start off, I'm going to show you a picture um, of one of my most prized possessions. I think I may have gone past it. It's like a book-related one. Old book, next one. Oh, everything's in the wrong order. Brilliant. It's going to be an interesting talk. There we go. (laughs) Um, So this is uh, a Greek New Testament from 1664. Probably one of the coolest things that I own. And it was given to me by a family friend uh, called David years and years ago. And David's father was a vicar and his father was a vicar and his father before that was a vicar. And so um, this book sort of throughout the generations has been sort of passed down to, uh, yeah, all these people, um, you know, trying to faithfully work out what it means uh, to follow Jesus. And in that case, also to lead a church. And I just find this book fascinating. I could stare at it for hours. I say stare because it's so old and broken that like every time I touch it, another piece of it kind of falls off. So it's in a a little glass box now. Um, But yeah, I just find it amazing. It kind of brings this feeling in me. It reminds me of kind of the, I guess, the depth or the the weight of this book and just how much it's meant to followers of Jesus um, throughout history and to people actually all over the world. So the Bible is still the best-selling book of all time with over 5 billion copies sold worldwide. It's the most stolen book, the most smuggled book. It's written in three languages over three continents by over 35 authors, spanning a time period of almost 2,000 years. And it's been translated into 704 languages, with at least some section of it having been translated into over 3,000 languages. I think there's a kind of wow factor in that, isn't there? For me, there's a a reverence, an awe, a respect, a kind of holiness. And for me personally, this is a collection of books that has inspired and frustrated and encouraged and infuriated me uh, for over 25 years. And even as a teenager, I was fascinated by it. I spent hours studying it, researching it, trying to understand what it meant. As an adult, I then studied it formally, so I completed my master's degree in theology, which meant studying the Bible in its original language, although I wasn't a super geek like Robin. I didn't do Hebrew, I just did Greek, <laughs> so confession, um, but as well as working out how to apply it sort of personally and missionally as well. And I've done bits of teaching around it for churches, for training institutions, and through a job as a lecturer at a theology college. So I've had some good times with this book. Um, it's, it's been a journey. But I've also been really hurt by it and by what others have done and said to me, justified by this book or something in it. People have used this book to try to control me, gaslight me, demonise me, minimise me, to get me to change my behaviour, my sexuality, my personality. This book has been used to make me feel different, wrong, sinful, even evil, and I know I'm not the only one. And after some of these experiences and after a long period of, sort of studying the Bible myself to the point where I just couldn't cope anymore with some of the misguided, uneducated and ill-informed things people were saying to me about it. Honestly, I rejected it completely. I stopped reading it. I found the words too painful, too confusing, too conflicting, contradictory. It became a sort of trigger rather than a tool. And I know for many of you, that might resonate with your experience or the experience of someone that you know. 
At Oasis as a church, we say one of our characteristics is that we hold an open, progressive theology. So as progressive Christians who, who ask questions, who debate, dialogue, deconstruct, who recognise the power of this book and how it can harm as well as heal and help, what do we do with it? What is its purpose and place in our lives? How can we reconstruct our use of it? And how can we reimagine and rethink it? And that's what I'm hoping to talk a little bit about today. So firstly, I think let's begin, as I hope I have, with a bit of honesty. And let's give some space to some of the ways that this book has been used to harm others. And for the harm that maybe we've experienced. Let's be honest that this isn't easy, is it? It isn't easy to work it out, to understand it. And if that's where you're at this morning, that is totally okay. And equally, maybe your experience doesn't resonate with mine. Actually, you know, maybe the Bible's been really helpful for you and it's not something you've struggled with. And actually, maybe you just feel a bit meh about it and you don't really have strong feelings. So wherever you are, I'm hoping there's going to be something this morning that's helpful. If you uh, missed any of the previous weeks of this talk series, I would really recommend that you catch up on the podcast, particularly Rob and Ian's talks from September, as I think they were both really helpful um, and they've been a really good start to, to this series. But in Rob's talk, he said something really important, which I just want to repeat today, which there's already been a slight spoiler alert for those that are here um, already. Um, but yeah, I just think it's a really important point and an important starting place for us again. So the Bi Rob said, the Bible is not the word of God, Jesus is. The Bible is not the word of God, Jesus is. And again, if you want the context as to you know, what Rob said and why he said that, why he thinks that, go and listen to the talk. But for me, it's been so key in reshaping my understanding. In all our sort of thinking and discussing and wrestling with this book, I think it's so important to remember that if we want to know what God is like, we look to Jesus. If we want to be like God and live in the way he wants us to live, we look to Jesus. He is the way, the way to walk, the path to follow, the life to live, life in all its fullness. And the Bible, in my view, is the story of God's interaction with his people over thousands of years, including the things Jesus said and did on the earth. And I think there's a difference, isn't there, between sort of seeing the Bible as the literal word of God, like a, a rule book there in black and white, clear as day, and seeing it as a story spanning thousands of years, mapping the history of God's relationship with his people. Now, I used two words just then, or two metaphors, rule book and map. And I think metaphors are really key in our understanding of the Bible and in trying to understand what its purpose might be. So Eugene Peterson, who translated the Message Bible, which uh, Lee read from earlier, says this about metaphors. Hopefully. There we go. That's the one. Great. So a metaphor is a word that carries us across the abyss, separating the invisible from the visible. The contradiction involved in what the word denotes and what it connotes sets up a tension in our minds and we are stimulated to an act of imagination in which we become participants in what is being spoken. Jesus loved a metaphor. <laughs> he spoke and he taught almost exclusively in parables and metaphors. And through parable and metaphor, Jesus kind of invited people, I think, to this act of imagination, carrying us across the abyss, separating the invisible from the visible. So when we're talking about metaphors, we're being really faithful, I think, to the Jesus way. 
And being honest about the Bible involves being aware that there are these gaps, aren't there? Barriers, things that separate us from the text that we read. Language, context, culture, tradition, preconceptions, assumptions, subjectivity, inherited theology, opinions and perspectives, privilege and race. There are gaps between us and our culture and context and the culture and context of the people who wrote the books in the Bible, not to mention thousands of years. So how do we bridge this gap so we can truly understand it and apply it? Well, I think metaphor can really help us. So in my uh, sort of uber-enthusiastic WWJD wristband-wearing days, um, I remember at one particular uh, youth group talk, um, they were talking about the Bible, and they said, um, you know, the Bible is like an instruction manual. And, you know, here was this sort of guide for life, providing these really clear instructions about how to live, live my life. So don't worry, because if you've got an issue or a problem, it's fine, because somewhere in this book is the answer. And I loved that um, because I loved answers. You know, my Enneagram type one self was thrilled that it was simple, you know, black and white, just follow the rules, uh, you know, stick to the policy, find the right one way of doing something and then just do it. Everything will work. It's simple. It's just like an instruction manual. The problem is... (laughs) Some of the instructions in the Bible are pretty weird. Um, in fact, most of them would probably be illegal uh, in, this, uh, in this day and age. I'll give you um, a scattering of examples. And some of my favourites. So Deuteronomy 25.11 says that if two men are fighting and the wife of one of the men attempts to rescue her husband by grabbing the other man's genitals, her hand should be cut off. Helpful instruction. 1 Peter 3 verse 3 and 1 Timothy 2 9 instructs women not to have elaborate hairstyles, wear gold jewellery or fine clothes. Um, And Exodus 22 verse 2, uh, again helpful advice if someone breaks into your house. If you catch a thief breaking in at night and you kill them, it's fine. But if they break in during the day and you kill them, it's not fine. Same. Now, of course, I'm, I'm doing what I shouldn't do. I'm, I'm taking these verses completely out of context. Aren't I? And most of us can guess there's a huge amount of historical and sociological information um, that's missing there that would help us understand why those instructions were included in those verses. But you can quickly see, can't you, like how if you understand the Bible primarily as an instruction manual, if you take on that metaphor and you choose that as the primary lens through which you define the purpose of the Bible, it can actually cause really serious harm. It can cause people people to to take the Bible literally rather than literally. And perhaps there's other metaphors that you've you've heard used before. I mean, I feel like metaphors could be a whole series, couldn't it? There's loads. But um, some of those, I'm sure, have been really helpful. Some of them have been unhelpful. And I wonder, perhaps that's something to reflect on a bit today. You know, what kind of metaphor would you use to sort of describe the purpose of the Bible for you and what you feel um, it's for? And I'd like to just briefly talk about two metaphors that I think are helpful and I think will help us develop a progressive understanding of the purpose of the Bible. So the first one is a library. So this is the long room at Trinity College Library in Dublin. I've not been, but it's definitely on my bucket list. It just looks incredible, doesn't it? Um, I think this, for me, in terms of the library, is one of the best metaphors for understanding what the Bible is. So the word Bible, it literally means library. And whilst I didn't do great in my French GCSE oral exam, I still remember asking with gusto, où est la bibliothèque? Because I remember that the word sounded like Bible. Such a Bible nerd. 
But when you open the Bible, you walk into a library, you know, a library that is filled with all different kinds of books. Maybe have a think about the last time that you walked into a library and imagine that as a metaphor through which you can understand the Bible. So, yeah, OK, maybe there are a few instruction manuals, but there are also history books, poetry collections, letters, prose, songs and fiction. And all of those genres, all of those different kinds of literature were of course written by different people with different backgrounds and experiences and viewpoints and opinions. And of course, sometimes those opinions contradict and conflict with each other. The key is knowing how to use a library, isn't it? And what each genre might be for, what its purpose might be. So let the poetry move you. Let the history books educate and warn you. Let the language comfort you. Let the fiction and metaphor and parable bridge those gaps in your imagination between the visible and, and invisible. The Bible is a library, literally and metaphorically. Okay, um, another metaphor, super helpful one I think I've found. Um, and this comes from a Jewish idea. So Jewish rabbis would often talk about this idea of, of turning the gem. So Rob Bell, in his amazing book, I think, so he wrote a book called What is the Bible? I think it's one of the best books I've ever read on the Bible. Like, I could not read it in public because I was having so many reactions to it. I've laughed, I've cried, I've, like, fist-pumped. It's just so, so good and so easy to read. So um, I've got lots of recommendations if you want books to read about the Bible, but that is, is kind of, in terms of the last few years, has, has been excellent. So definitely read that one. But in that book, he has um, a chapter devoted to this idea of turning the gems. It's called Turning the Gem, this chapter. And Bell says that in the rabbinic tradition, they would have this, or they would say that scripture has 70 faces, like a gem. And when you read it, you keep turning it like a gem, letting the light refract through the various faces in new and unexpected ways. He talks about a rabbi called Lawrence Kushner, who wrote a book called God Was In This Place and I Did Not Know, in which each of the seven chapters are a different, a totally different interpretation of the same verse in the Bible. And I think this metaphor is really helpful at reminding us of the beauty of different voices, perspectives and interpretations. You know, that we can all read the same passage, can't we, and see something totally different. And that's not a bad thing. That adds to the richness of how we can apply or learn from that passage. And for me, making sure that I listen to the voices of marginalised people has been important more recently in adding and deepening my understanding of certain Bible passages. So reading commentaries and interpretations from black and womanist or queer theologians gives such an amazing understanding, one that I just cannot get as a privileged white Westerner. So making sure there's a diversity in the voices that you hear. And I think it also, this metaphor, gives a lot of space for disagreements, you know, for difference and debate, which is, you know, would have been a really normal part of first century Jewish culture. You know, interpretations were taught by rabbis and they were disputed and discussed and unpacked by their followers. I think the Bible is a gem. It's treasure. It refracts light differently with each turn of the stone and with each angle it's viewed from. So metaphors can be helpful or unhelpful, but they can also really shape our understanding of the purpose of the Bible in our lives. So I think we really need to consider carefully which metaphors we choose and use. 
So finally then this morning, I want to just share five progressive principles, again, that have helped me in my developing understanding of the Bible. And I hope they will, might be helpful for you too. And I'd love to hear of any principles that perhaps you'd add to that list as well. And I'm only going to talk very, very briefly about each one because I know we've not got loads of time. But do come and chat to me if you'd like me to say a bit more about any of them. Okay, so the first one is... No, it isn't. <laughs> it's all in the wrong order. Here we go. Take the Bible seriously, but not literally. So this is a phrase I've nicked from a progressive theologian called Marcus Borg, who's written loads of books, but one of them is called Reading the Bible Again for the First Time. And the subtitle of that book is Taking the Bible Seriously, Not Literally. And actually, Rob uh, kind of alluded to the fact that actually if we take it seriously, then we can't take it literally. Um, so I think that's a really important principle. You know, let's be aware that, yes, the Bible is special, it's holy, it's amazing, it's powerful, it deserves our awe and our respect. But in taking it seriously and honouring it for what it actually is, we cannot blindly apply verses to our context or to any kind of context or situation without some work, some work that involves translation and interpretation. Okay, context over subject. So let's always find out about the context of what we're reading. So particularly with difficult or weird passages, like some of the ones I read out earlier. You know, who wrote it? Why they wrote it? Who they wrote it to? Where it was written? When it was written? All of that will sometimes tell you way more about a Bible verse or book than perhaps the specific words that you're reading. And linked to that, make sure that you know the background behind the version of the Bible that you're using. So who translated it? Who funded the translation? All of that, um, yeah, really, really important questions. Okay, and then... Um dialogue over monologue. So this is important to apply in two ways. So firstly, it's about understanding the diversity of biblical authorship and interpretation. So we turn the gem and each time we might see something different from a different perspective, but we honour and listen to all perspectives, even if we disagree with them, which is something that I find very difficult, but I'm trying. <laughs> And secondly, I think let's remember that the Bible was always meant to be worked out in community. Let's move away from this idea of, you know, quiet time devotions being the only place that God speaks through the Bible. So for me, yes, God's spoken to me definitely through sitting on my own reading the Bible in the quiet. But he's spoken to me just as much sitting in a pub with a group of mates talking about a verse that I just didn't get or was annoying me. You know, both are valid, aren't they? But community was the God-designed context for scriptural application and discussion. So it's great. I'm really excited about the microhub um, that Anna and team are starting and also the one that Steve and Nat runs, which is our sort of Bible study group. Um, you know, that is, that's why we do stuff like that, because it's so important to meet, to chat about the Bible. Okay. Um, use a toolkit. That is that one. <laughs> Um, so another metaphor, but the Bible is something that needs a toolkit, I think, to sort of explore, unpack, understand and apply. Now, you might think this is all sounding like super academic and you're talking about people with degrees and fancy books and that, that isn't me. And I get that. And I think we also need to be a bit careful not to make like biblical application, interpretation and academic head thing, because it isn't just about what goes on in your brain. Um, it's your body. It's your soul. It's everything. It's about connecting all of those things up together, isn't it? And so... 
that's a that's a risk but there are tools and some of them are academic but some of them aren't at all and I think those tools are really essential in helping us to explore unpack understand and apply the bible and actually in November Gaynor Williams is going to be doing a talk specifically about this so we're going to be looking at things like okay what is a commentary and where can I get one and um, yeah those sort of tools we'll be looking at so yeah look out for that that week in November and again, some of the kind of less cognitive stuff is probably, you know, things that open it up a bit in our hearts, isn't it? So, um, you know, conversation, art, music, friendships, talks and podcasts, but also spiritual practices uh, such as prayer. Use a toolkit because you definitely need one. Um, and then the last one is reimagine, don't reject. So... It, in starting this series, I've, I've actually been really challenged about my own, my own journey, which is often the case when we do um, you know, a series like this. God sort of brings up the stuff that you need to look at as well, which is great, but a little painful. <laughs> and I, uh, I mentioned there'd been this time in my life where I sort of needed a break from the Bible and I just needed some space from it for a bit. You know, I read a lot of books about the Bible, but I kind of just got to a point where I'd stopped reading the Bible like itself, just you know, um, in my own time or, or with others. And I just, yeah, I don't know, maybe that's where you're at as well right now. Maybe you just can't engage with it. And I think I just wanted to sort of say, that's okay. I think it's good to take a break from the Bible sometimes. And if that's what you need to do, then I think that's fine. And I think sometimes we can feel like others are going to pressure us or, you know, make us feel like that's a really bad thing. But I would just say, walk your path in that. You know, God can speak to you and meet you in all kinds of ways. And if the Bible isn't something that you can engage right now, that's okay, and hopefully that will change in time, but you'll know when it does. And I think for me, I've sort of reached a point where I think I need to re-engage with it again, sort of personally, but, you know, communally as well, and not just because I'm writing a talk, but because I actually need my actions to align with my talks, and if they don't, then, to be frank, I should stop talking. Um, and, yeah, I think, you know, being super honest, I've, I've read it and studied it for so many years, I kind of just know it. So just as I can still flawlessly recite both the rap from Wannabe by the Spice Girls and the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air theme tune, the stories and the, the words, it's like in there. You know, I know it. I can, I can tell you which verse, which, chat, which story. You know, I, it's, it's up there. Um, and I've just got away with it, I think, for only reading it when I've had to in recent years, which I recognise isn't great. So I've bought a new Bible, which is very exciting, which has arrived this week, because I felt like I just needed to like do something new. I just needed to sort of, uh, my old, my other Bible has got all these notes in that I don't agree with anymore and just find difficult to even like believe, you know, just look at the self, <clears throat> the previous version of myself that believes some of that stuff. And yeah, so I'd, even picking up my old Bible was a, was a challenging thing. So um, yeah, and actually um, the timing of all this has been really cool because it's an NRSV UE version. So if you go to theology college, or I did when I was, you know, in my 20s, they told me the NRSV, so the New Revised Standard Version, that is the one. That is the most recent translation of the Bible that we have. And that's, you know, the, the best one to have. So this is an updated edition of that, that which has only just come out uh, in September. So it takes into account another 30 years of scholarship and study. It includes about 20,000 changes. And, um, with Rob's example, I read the preface, like the bit in the beginning, and it says this. The current updating process involves scores of scholars and leaders from multiple faith communities, inclusive of gender and ethnic identities, with the unwavering goal to render an accurate version of original source text into the most current understandings of contemporary language and culture. 
Together with religious leaders from diverse communities of faith, we join in the conviction that the scriptures offer good news of God's love, wisdom to guide, hope to sustain, truth to empower, forgiveness to change, and peace to bless all creation. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I don't think they mentioned it as an instruction manual. <laughs> but that to me sounds like a rethinking, you know, reimagining. And I think it's time for me to reimagine what the Bible could look like in my own life rather than just continue to sort of reject it or read books about it rather than it itself. Because I really need wisdom to guide. I really need hope to sustain, truth to empower, forgiveness to change and peace to bless creation. I don't want to reject it because I don't want to miss out on that stuff. I'm telling you that because I want to be honest, but I also want to invite you to join me if that's where you're at too. Not necessarily in buying a new Bible because I'm not on commission, I promise. Um, but if there is some small change or adjustment, you know, that maybe you need to just help you get unstuck a little bit or a new way of engaging with the Bible that might open up your understanding, then go for it. And actually in Community News every week, we've been suggesting some things that you could maybe try um, to help you engage with the Bible. So that might be a good place to start. But whether the Bible has helped or harmed you, Let's all have the courage to turn the gem with openness, grace and humility. Let's see every perspective as one we can learn from and grow because of. God, we just come before you with honesty about where we are with this. And there are some of us in the room that the Bible has been so important to us. It has inspired us. You've spoken to us through it. You've changed our lives through it. And it's been amazing. And there are others um, of us for whom it's been painful and difficult and frustrating and it's caused great harm. And there's people who've been through both of those. <laughs> and so God, wherever we are, we just bring that to you. And we do say thank you for this collection of books, for how it tells us about who you are and how you love us and how you're endlessly interested in being part of our lives that it tells us about your son and that it gives us a way to walk. And we just pray that as we just have a bit of quiet now that you would just speak to us in whatever way we need to be spoken to. We know that you'll do that with love, but if there's something that perhaps you want to challenge us about, prompt us to do, yeah, we just pray that you'd come and speak to us now. From Ephesians 3, 17 to 19. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen.
You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.